Angela Malice, and I'm an assistant news editor for the Massachusetts Daily Collegian, the only student-run print and online newspaper here on the UMass campus, serving the community since 1890. And this is the official podcast for the news section of the Collegian, called the Collegian News Hour. We're recording today's episode on Sunday, November 3rd, but this, like every installment of our podcast, will be released at 8 o'clock every Tuesday morning on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. So you're in the studio with me to recap the stories we have covered over the past week are the rest of the news team, if you want to introduce yourselves. I'm Catherine Eston, assistant news editor. I'm Chris McLaughlin, an assistant news editor. I'm Cassie McGrath, an assistant news editor. And I'm Irina Kostake, also assistant news editor. Cool. So um, for our first story act, Catherine, you uh, covered this uh, pretty big news from the SGA. Sure. So this past Wednesday, uh, an impeachment investigation was announced against current Student Government Association President Timmy Sullivan. Uh, so this is a story I've kind of been following a bit behind the scenes for a few weeks. Uh, it involves something that happened last semester. So if people don't know, some positions in the student government are paid. Uh, and one of those positions is the president. And according to uh, some members of administrative affairs or former members of that cabinet, uh, the president is capped at 20 hours a week. Uh, there were several s- weeks where Timmy was paid 30 hours a week. Uh, and there's the question of whether he could get that approved, who he'd have to talk to. Uh, but the big issue a lot of people bring up is, was he transparent with the Student Senate? Uh, and so I talked to Timmy. I talked to the head of the Administrative Affairs, or the chair of Administrative Affairs, uh, as well as the current student trustee. And I think my biggest takeaway is no, there's still this investigation going on. Uh, and we're not sure what that outcome is going to be. But within the next 30 days, we will see a report from the Subcommittee on Rules and Ethics. And that subcommittee can summarize behavior and decide it's not an offense. Uh, or it could put forward impeachment proceedings uh, within the Senate. And if those proceedings pass the Senate, uh, it would go to the judiciary. And then it would be possible for the president to be removed from office. So um, I was wondering if you knew how like, specifically this uh, investigation process will work. Uh, so the investigation process, those rules are determined by the Rules and Ethics Subcommittee. When I talked to them, they said that they were looking. They were going to try to interview the people involved. Uh, a lot of it is looking at the bylaws and trying to interpret those. Uh, so another big thing is the Constitution. The bylaws are two different things at the SJ. The Constitution, I think, was written in the 1970s. Could be wrong in that year there, but just a long time ago. Nobody who wrote them is still on campus. And there's parts of the SJ that aren't included in the Constitution, so they've just all been added through the bylaws over the years. Uh, so the bylaws are very long. Um, some of it's been updated. Some of it hasn't been updated. And as a result, there's not necessarily a clear way this investigation will be carried forward. Um, but at the meeting, a lot of people are saying, you know, everyone needs to step back, let the investigation go through, and then deal with this issue after it comes out of committee. So basically kind of the accusations are that when the former vice president, um, Natalie Amazon, uh, resigned, there was like that period where there wasn't a vice president and that Sullivan claims that he, he was taking up the work for the vice president. So he so his pay was increased, I think you said, to 30 hours. So be yeah, like that's 60, right. 60 hours on like a two week pay cycle. Um, yeah. So that's uh, right after Nat Amazon resigned. So she was the vice president until early February last year. Uh, so she resigned. And Sullivan was supposed to start recruiting for, or not recruiting, but accepting applicants for a new vice president. Uh, He said that he did receive one, but because of the election, he postponed accepting that applicant, who did become current vice president Hayden Latimer Island. But another big dilemma within that is, you know, was he allowed to leave that position open for longer than the bylaws state? Um, How much flexibility does the bylaw allow? 
Um, and then another big thing is two of those pay cycles in which he received 60 hours actually come after the election, uh, which means that there was a vice president in office, but he was still accepting 60 hours a week or 60 hours per pay cycle. And his explanation was that had to do with um, the transition between two academic years. But, you know, whether that's true, whether that's um, relevant to bylaws issues. And I mean, the other big question is we don't necessarily know who would have to approve it. Uh, because that's something I've kind of heard from different people. Some people say, well, only the advisor can say yes or no. Others say, no, you have to tell the Senate. And then Timmy Sullivan said, oh, you know, it's not a unilateral decision, but the president controls payroll. I really hope the SGA doesn't, like, jump the gun on this and kind of make it, like, inflate it to what it might not even be. Because, I mean, we all know, like, the SGA is very polarized. There's a lot of clickiness in groups who are, like, very, you know, opposed of each other. And I think that if, like we get stuck in this like he said she said of like what is right and what is wrong it might just inflate to something like when timmy won his re-election by 11 votes and they spent like three weeks disputing whether they should ratify the election which could have gone to so much more like useful things and productive things so i hope that they don't waste time on this and i really just think that the subcommittee on rules and ethics is going to be have like the ultimate jurisdiction and probably know the most about it so until that comes out then like I don't know. I hope that it doesn't like affect too many of their meetings and how much time is spent talking about this. Yeah, I definitely feel at this time I don't think the issue should be litigated on the Senate floor. I'm glad that a lot of the people who talked about it at the meeting in their reports, so I think those four members that brought it up in their reports and all of them kind of ended by saying, you know, don't let this distract from the work we're already doing. Because there is one troubling aspect of it that um, so there was a petition. This is how the investigation started. So a petition signed by over 100 students was sent to the subcommittee, which prompted the investigation. On in that petition, they made a lot further allegations that uh, we don't know yet whether they're substantiated. And I think the subcommittee's job will be going through each one of those. Um, but one of the allegations was that it was tied to the increase in the Student Activities Trust Fund. Um, so that's the fund that supports all RSOs, all student businesses. Uh, and Sullivan, as well as a lot of members of the Senate and a lot of leaders on campus supported that increase in the fee. And the petition claimed that that increase in the fee was tied to Sullivan also increasing his own pay. And if that were to be true, I think it would be very worrying, especially because a lot of RSO leaders still stand by the decision to increase that fee in a year where we've seen a lot of cuts for RSOs, a lot of cuts for student businesses. But at the same time, at least in the petition, I didn't see a lot of evidence for a lot of the things that were brought up. I mean, it was a lot of allegations they pointed to the payroll, but it was also the question of how do you prove something like that is true? Yeah, I think that petition definitely raised um, a lot of allegations and concerns, and I think, if anything, this investigation will either uh, prove that those are true or, or disprove them, and at the end of the day, that could help the SGA kind of uh, fizzle out some of this tension that's been going on since the last election, and that would hopefully help them to like put all this behind them and just focus on the student body because really that's of course their job so making sure that the student body isn't being negatively affected because of the tension within the government and just looking out for like what's best for everyone in the organization as well I think that hopefully this investigation just puts to rest a lot of these issues. Um, well this is kind of a question I had as I've been talking to people about the um, investigation. Do you think it has to ignore everything that happened with the election or do you think the election has to be a part of the investigation? Because some people have said, you know, this is people who resent that Timmy won the election, resent that he got that slight lead that allowed him to come back to office. So this is just an attack by somebody who wants him removed. They don't care how he's removed or why he's removed. They just want him out. 
So those people are saying, you know, we shouldn't talk about the election. That's not relevant. But then there's people on the other side saying, no, the fact that he had that narrow victory and he doesn't have the healthiest relationship with the Senate after that election is relevant to the investigation. I think that questions about the election should come up, I think, in the in the investigation, because um, like you mentioned, there's a lot of resentment against Sullivan because of that. And I think it could be important because whether it goes either way, it's going to settle these issues and then we'll kind of allow the SGA to to move forward past that and kind of start focusing on other issues. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. The more comprehensive the investigation is, um, the better chances they are of just moving on. I think neglecting that one issue that people keep coming back to could then just even if um, Timmy Sullivan is proved to be innocent in this whole investigation and whatnot, um, people could still go back to the election afterwards and that just having like a full comprehensive uh, investigation would just like clear everything for them, like what you said. Um, yeah, I don't know if any of you also read Sophia Gardner's article. So that was about the whole SGA meeting uh, includes comments on the impeachment. Um, but I could also see something worrying kind of coming up for President Sullivan in that a member of his cabinet was terminated. Um, so that was, I think it was Veterans Affairs. Secretary of Veteran Affairs, Kyle Kendall, uh, got his two weeks notice. Um, and I think that's the other point of contention we're going to see in the Senate for the next few weeks. Um, because it was brought up in Kendall's report for the week and in Sullivan's report. Uh, and when senators did ask questions, you kind of said, you know, this is not the place to talk about it. Surprisingly, that was actually the most tense moment of the meeting, not the part where they announced their impeachment proceedings, but about the termination, um, where senators said, you know, this is where we should talk about it. This is the SGA. We want to make sure things are done right. And then he was saying, you know, no, you should request the minutes of the meeting and you can talk to me privately. Uh, and I do think that's another interesting issue. I don't really have anything else to say about that because that's as much as we know right now. But... I'll be interested to see whether the relationships between the Sullivan administration and the Senate ever do improve this year, because so far I'm not sure they have. Well, yeah, it'll be um, interesting to see how this kind of plays out, like as the investigation goes on and when they release a report in the next 30 days. But um, we'll have coverage on that as that um, comes out. But uh, so for our next story, uh, this was written by uh, Will Catcher, who's uh, an assistant photo editor. He wrote about, um, so the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement um, is a it's a group that's aiming to politically pressure Israel to change its policies in regards to Palestine, and they are running an event um, at UMass on November 12th called the Attack on BDS and American Democracy, and th that's going to discuss efforts that have been made to oppose BDS. Um, so UMass Chancellor Kumble Subhaswamy released a statement um, in opposition to the event. He claimed uh, in a statement that BDS is quote antithetical to academic freedom, and called the event. Uh, quote, troubling, one-dimensional, and polarizing. And he felt that having a group with what he thought of as one-sided and divisive positions speak could make some members in the community feel as if they don't belong. However, despite his opposition, uh, Subhaswamy said that he can't uh, stop the event from happening as a university is a public institution and they must remain content neutral in making facilities <coughs> available for events. Uh, and then in response, um, over 120 professors signed a letter in response to the chancellor's statement they were uh, critical of his characterization of the events and of BDS, and they felt that he was disregarding the feelings of Palestinian students, Muslim students, and other students of color. Uh, UMass Hillel sided with the chancellor in a statement that Will had in the article, um, and they said that the event was, quote, anti-Israel. And then the UMass branch of Students for Justice in Palestine issued an open letter asking the chancellor to retract the statement. One thing that I really just didn't like that he said was the fact that 
or he criticized the panel for being one-sided on the issue, which I personally just disagree with in the first place, but I think it's also really hypocritical because just a couple of days ago, UMass hosted Benny Morris, who um, was speaking on the issue of Israel-Palestine on the Israeli side, which was also one-sided, and like, and just in general, he should not have been someone who came to the school, in my opinion, because he has said some really troubling things in the past, like justifying ethnic cleansing and like genocide of indigenous people so yeah i just i thought it was really hypocritical of him to say something like that in his statement well this also feels like a repeat of the event that happened back in may which i know the group organizing it has said you know no that's a direct connection to that may event um but i do wonder whether it's supposed to gain a lot of attention on campus whether the chancellor's statement is actually something the organizers kind of wanted because if the chancellor hadn't said anything i wonder if as much attention would be coming to the event Uh, because in contrast the one in may i think happened during final season definitely a lot of people attended people did protest but i think the crowds are likely to be bigger now than they were back then so i'm interested in what the optics of the whole situation will be and whether the university had to make this statement or whether this is kind of regarding all of the state all of the events that are held like this and not necessarily this one event yeah to your point like because so now the chancellor releases a statement and then the professors launch a response and then and now there's responses from hillel and um and the branch of students for justice in palestine that it's almost it's almost creating it's like it's i mean it's like creating advertisement for the event right um so yeah i think it's like interesting to look at like why he decided to make a statement also i i don't know if i'm i don't remember correctly but um did the chancellor um, release a statement for the event back in May? The university did say they were opposed to academic boycotts, but it wasn't a statement by Subhaswamy. This was a statement that just came from the news and media relations at the university. Okay, so I wonder, like, what kind of, like, like kind of like what you mentioned, what, like, made him want to comment directly on, on this event in particular. Yeah, that is interesting that it's not just, you know, a spokesperson for the university saying it. This is directly the chancellor, who doesn't release messages that often. And we kind of got this in an email we don't always get email updates about something like this. You know, so this you didn't have to go looking for the statement on this event. This was told to everyone. It was very public. And I do wonder how much the university has to deal with that because I think the big question of people saying, oh, well, UMass is involved is because there's a professor leading it. And I'd be interested for someone to look into whether it's very common for professors to go out and hold events with groups outside of the university on campus and how the university has responded to events similar in that nature, not necessarily similar on topic in the past. Yeah, I think that would be really interesting. Yeah. Cool, so um, for our next story, something um, a little um, a little sadder. Um, Cassie, if you want to talk about this. Um, so on Wednesday evening, uh, UMass reported that there was a death outside of McGurk Alumni Stadium. And on Thursday, it was confirmed that it was a junior computer science student, Eric King Eth. And there, the school released an email on um, Thursday um, confirming that he died outside of McGurk. And yeah, the UMass community is very upset about it. Um, he was uh, involved on campus. Um, Mass Live reported that um, he was born in Kenya and was a volunteer with the Cultural Exchange through uh, soccer, a Worcester based organization. So yeah, it's just very sad. <laughs> very sad news. Yeah, that was really sad. It seemed like seemed like a lot. Like I know someone who um, happened to like know him for living on the hall on the same hall or same um, same dorm. So yeah, it's a really sad situation. Yeah, I think people say that UMass is a really big school, uh, but at the same time, if you're somebody that's involved, and it sounds like Eric was, you know, he was involved with some sports organizations on campus and had friends from a lot of different parts. Uh, at times like that, it's UMass. You know, everybody knows somebody who knows 
everybody else because a lot of the people I've talked to this weekend said oh yeah you know he was friends with so-and-so we met a couple times he was such a great guy every time we met and then other people have said oh well I recognize this picture you know he's someone I passed on the way to class and it's gonna be weird not to see him on that route anymore um, and then I'm writing a feature and I had a chance to talk to some of the people uh, he knew back in Worcester and it's just nobody has a bad thing to say he's a really great guy for our last uh few stories. Uh, Daniel Ellsberg, we had covered, or Catherine, you had covered earlier about him, uh, UMass acquiring his papers. Um, he came to visit this past week. And um, so he was here on Monday, October 28th, Tuesday, October 29th, and then Wednesday, October 30th. Uh, and the first event, uh, that was written by Megan Sorensen uh, about an event where um, Ellsberg discussed the releasing the Pentagon Papers alongside Gar Alperwitz after a screening of the documentary Most Dangerous Man in America, Daniel Ellsberg in the Pentagon Papers. And then the next night, on Tuesday, October 29th, one of our writers, uh, Lee Appleseen, um, wrote an article about Ellsberg's um, talking about social theory and behavioral economics in relation to the Vietnam War. And then the final event uh, was written by uh, um, Matt Berg, where Ellsberg spoke at the Friends of the Library's fall event and discussed his experiences with releasing the Pentagon Papers. And um, yeah, thought it was really cool that he that he showed up and um, a lot of students got to go to events with him speaking and yeah it wasn't just students because I did see the night of the library event it seemed like a lot of people from town came in um, people came in from further out in the area to come see the event and I also thought it was interesting that it wasn't just one part of campus holding the event um, you know the library held one uh, now that Ellsberg is a distinguished fellow at the political economy research institute I think they held two of the events uh, it, it was nice to kind of see Ellsberg shared between all of the different departments. Maybe shared isn't the right word, but something like that. Find a synonym. Enjoyed. Yes. Embraced. I think embraced. <laughs> Let's go with that. Cool. So, yeah, um, coverage of all of those events can be found on the Collegians website. But uh, I think that's all the time we have for now. It's great having everyone listen. Tune in next time. And once again, I'm Will Malice. I'm Catherine Eston. I'm Chris McLaughlin. I'm Cassie McGrath. And I'm Irina Kostaker. And you've been listening to the Collegian News Hour. The music for this podcast was created by Joaquin Grude and promoted by Audio Library. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and give us a rating if you enjoyed today's episode. It really helps us out. So thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.